0: Being a pastor, I've had the privilege of meeting so many people who, to me, are living saints. And the saints who have the kind of faith that moves me and inspires me to have the same kind of faith that I see in them aren't usually the ones who have never had problems with God or have never had problems with weird things they read in the Bible. No. It's the saints who were always willing to try to be honest, even if it felt like that was a risky move, or even if it felt like it might cost them something to be honest. But that kind of honesty inspires me. I find that people with that kind of honest faith know something crucial about faith. Faith is not some sort of fragile wine class that is always seconds away from shattering. You've got to be careful that it doesn't fall on the ground. No, I'm learning often through their witness that faith is given to us by God, which means that it is endlessly durable. It can handle being tossed around in the back of the car or the bottom of a big purse or dropped on the sidewalk, and it'll be just fine. Having faith in God is not a contest to make sure that you can prove that you have got what it takes. Following the living God revealed to us in Jesus can be challenging, and I don't think it helps you or me for us to act like it can't be. It does us no good to act like everything is always fine when it's not. And it most certainly always isn't. This is what is so important to me about getting the big fundamental ideas right about God. There are so many ways that we shrink down and deprive the gospel from its goodness. When we turn it into a story that starts with us and our problems then it's no wonder that we turn Jesus and God and anybody else into some sort of tool that only exists to rescue us. But there is another older way of telling the good news that makes it substantially a story not about us, but about God. And it makes it a story about God's deepest desires God's deepest desire is to be in communion with all of us. In this telling, the reason that creation has evidently been evolving for millions of years is because God's deepest desire was to enjoy being with us so much that God was always wanting to become human and come among us. You see the difference? In the so called gospel, God becomes a human simply as a way to try to fix our mess. In the older gospel, the one born witness to in the New Testament, God made everything in order to come among us as Jesus Christ. And in this gospel, the only reason we are motivated to love God is simply because God loves us. No threats, no gimmicks just love all the way down. Now, I was taught in Sunday school, like many of our kids are being taught right now. Now, I actually love, I have, one, I have bad hearing, but two, when I do hear them in there, that actually inspires me um, because I have been in churches before, I mean, I've been in churches before where they're like, boy, it would be nice if maybe one day somebody under the age of, you know would show up and that that we have young people here who are growing up and learning that actually God just simply loves them, I think is quite a good thing that we make space for them. And I hope you enjoyed that too. When I was taught in a Sunday school class at a very early age, Mr. Kevin and Mr. Bill, they taught me that God so loved the world that I could probably still do it from memory, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. My God, yes, a word. Now, turns out it's actually that good. That's the crazy thing. The problem is somewhere along the way in American Christianity, people like you and me got into systems and institutions that said, well, maybe it's not actually that easy. And they tried to like problematize and mess up this really good news. So, as clearly as I know how to say to you, my dear friends, this is the good news. That God's deepest desire, God's deepest wish, God's deepest longing has always been to be with you. Not use you. Not punish you. Not destroy you. God doesn't just love you. God actually enjoys being with you. You are not a burden to God. And I know some of us, the lives that we live and the hands that that we have been dealt in life sometimes makes it feel like we're a burden to everybody. But the good news is you have never been, you are not, and you will never be a burden to the living God. God has always desired to come amongst us as Jesus Christ so that we could enjoy being with each other while we are with God. Now, the reality of death amongst humans made God's desire to come among us a little riskier for God. Okay, so now that they're all dying, you sure you want to go be with them? But God came to be with us all the way even unto death. And when God joined us and partook of communion with us, even into death, God then transformed death into eternal life. And as simply as I know how to tell you, the only thing that God wants out of you is to be with you. And if you think that that's not strong enough or not robust enough or not theologically astute enough, I actually think the hard work you have to do is like trusting that that might actually be true. And I know that sounds weird because all we know our power plays with each other, right? That's all we know how to relate to each other. I'm going to give you a little bit of this, and one day I'm going to call upon you for a favor. Not so with God. The only thing that God wants out of you is to be with you. Now, I mentioned earlier that I, for years, served a, a small church in rural North Carolina. And if you know anything about rural North Carolina, you know there is nothing more rural than that. And (laughs) we moved there so that I could do another degree and that allowed me to stay in ministry and whip, you know, it was great. We actually had a ton of fun together. And one day we had a couple from church come over to the house for a visit and suddenly the birds in the backyard start squawking and screaming nonstop. I had no clue what was going on, but the people, the couple that we had, uh, you know, over to the house from church and who had lived on that road their entire life, they instantly knew what was happening. And the woman kind of turns over to the man and honestly, in a very Texan kind of way, just said, you want me to get the pistol out of the truck? And he said, nah, I'll just use my hands. I, questioning what in God's name I was doing out in this country and questioning all of my life's choices, as the man walks over, out and down and over to the tree, and he grabs like a nine-foot snake, snatches it off of the tree, and then begins to spin it (laughs) like a lasso three times over his head and then chucks it into the woods behind our house. I pick my chin up off the ground and dagger back onto the deck where he debriefed me, said, well, the snake was almost to the baby birds that were up in the nest. And that's why you heard all of the squawking. I don't know about you people, but I basically operate under my good friend Cameron Merrill's rule of life that the only good snake is a dead snake. And that story still gives me the yee. Like on the list of things that I will never do in life, that's pretty near the top, walking over and volitionally laying hands on a serpent and just, you know, nope, that is such a hard pass for me. Like I will do so many other things first before that, my God. Now, uh, why am I talking about snakes? Well, because they actually feature prominently in the scriptures and they show up in our gospel reading today. The Bible opens with a mythic tale of creation and the serpent tempts Adam and Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. St. Irenaeus actually has this really cool read of the story, and he says, you should read the Adam and Eve story actually with them as like really little children. I think our Sunday school classes kind of often serve them as full-blown adults, but he said, actually, the story makes a whole lot more sense if they're little kids, and uh, they're just trying to find their way around, and they didn't know any better than to listen to a snake that just started talking to them. In the New Testament, the Satan is called an ancient serpent that has been assaulting God's people forever. And then you get this really weird story from Numbers, and if you're into weird stories from Numbers, you should hang out at Tim's Bible study on Sunday morning. (laughs) And there's this really weird story from Numbers. God's people begin to wonder aloud, hey, we're not in Egypt anymore, but by God, this is not the promised land either, okay? I wonder if you've ever found yourself in between those two polarities. All right, this is not as bad as it's been before, but this is not as good as it can be either. There's a particular sort of frustration that comes in between that liminal space between freedom from the really bad stuff, but not yet being in the good life either. And so they get upset about that. And they say, we've been traveling through the wilderness for what seems like a really long time. And are we sure? Like, you know, at a certain point they start sitting around and saying, okay, but but we're sure, right, that this is better than going back into slavery, right? And there's some people that think, well, you know, at least we knew what we, we had back there. Furthermore, it seems like God doesn't really care about us at all. And I'm actually kind of think that maybe God's, this is God's just cruel joke on us. Are we sure that God's just not actually out to get us because this is no good? Well, Numbers says that God's response to this was to let loose a bunch of snakes across their company, and in some weird kind of way, it realized or actualized the venomous ideas that had been running rampant through their community in a very on-the-nose kind of way. And at that point, they say to Moses, hey, can you go talk to the big guy and please get rid of this plague of snakes terrorizing them? I am sick of these snakes in my camp. And Moses does this, and he goes and talks to God. And then Moses gets some really bizarre instructions from God. I mean, imagine you talk to God, and one day God talks back and says, "All right, cool. So what I want you to do is I want you to uh, get, I want you to make a poisonous snake and stick it on a pole. And then that way, anybody who is snake bit can just take a look at it and live." I mean, come on. This is the weird stuff of the Bible, right? You just go, what? Gosh, come on. Now, Moses walks out of his prayer closet and he goes into the garage and he starts making a bronze snake and he hoists it up on a pole for anyone who dares to look at the bronze snake and live. This is the weird thing about this God that we read about in the Bible. This God is always giving out strange assignments. Build an ark in the desert. Make a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Hit your staff against the rock for water to gush out. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. It's stories like these that actually, in a weird way, brings me some kind of comfort, knowing that this is really not a God we made up on our own. Is a weird God. And the reason I'm talking about this weird story is because in today's gospel, under the veil of darkness, Nicodemus talks with Jesus, and Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness, so must he be lifted up on the cross so that everyone will live. And the very next sentence in that story is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, did you know that that John 3.16 story comes on the heels of Jesus making sense of his place and life and work in the world through the story of that bizarre serpent story in numbers? Really listen to that. God so loved the world. Jesus came because of God's deep love for the world. Now, maybe you are a person who never understood the religious impulse to withdraw from the world, and that's no problem for this God. This God is with you. God loves the world. God's all in for the world, and frankly, just wants to enjoy it all. And as famous as John 3.16 is, don't sleep on John 3.17. The Son of God was not sent into the world to judge the world. I know that that is news to religious professionals like me. But just because we get it wrong doesn't mean that we can't learn to get it right. And the scriptures actually says that Jesus did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus says, I am not here to judge. I am not here to judge you for being bitten by poisonous snakes that continue to take life out of your communities. I am here to give life by becoming the one snake unlike all of the rest of you. All the ways that I will give life will be when you all treat me like you do any other snake. When you all say the only good snake is a dead snake. When you lift me up, you will see I am not taking the punishment from the Father, I am taking the punishment from you. God is not the one who wanted Jesus' blood, humans are. Just look at our histories. Jesus takes the venom of our collective hatred and violence in order to show us that there is another way of being human, where we no longer need to create victims in order for our human societies to flourish. Jesus takes the venom of our hatred and violence and transforms it. Jesus' death on the cross was not to please or appease the first person of the Trinity. Jesus' death on the cross was about getting a message through to us. Jesus' death on the cross is the triune God getting up in our face and saying, you humans are the one who need weaned off of your addiction to death. You all are the ones who keep trying to make victims out of people. And God has power because God has nothing to do with death. And if we look at Jesus on the cross, the hope is that we might be inspired to no longer be captivated by death ourselves anymore. Jesus tells this story of Moses' serpents on a rod of wood. And it harkens back to the serpent on the wood of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of life. And it looks ahead to Jesus' crucifixion. I mean, if you even look at icons of Jesus on the cross, oftentimes his body is snaked in an, like an S upon the cross. The early church called him the good serpent. Jesus became death to beat death. So this Lent, holy family, look to the cross and trust. And when you look at Jesus, don't be surprised that the serpent on the pole that you see looks exactly like you.